It was about faith. Remember last week's message about faith? And tonight, it's still about faith. But it's more than that. It's about amazing Jesus. Let's have a look at verse 1. Jesus left that part of the country and returned with his disciples to Nazareth, his hometown. The next Sabbath he began teaching in the synagogue and many who heard him were amazed. Can we just stop there and just look at the Sabbath? The next Sabbath he began teaching in the synagogue. The next Sabbath, it's a day of rest, right? It's a day of rest, a day that's been created for God's people to rest or for everyone to rest. God created the Sabbath for us. Man, man wasn't created to serve the regulation of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was created to give us rest, to give us a place of rest. And, and you know, it's awesome that it, it's a picture of God resting from his work, right, at creation. On the, on the sixth day, he finished his creation, and the seventh day, he rested from his work. And then we see the cross, which we just remembered a moment ago with communion. And the cross is where Jesus, he says these words, it is finished. And he breathed out his last breath. And he died for your sin and for my sin. He rested from his work of salvation. And he rose again to bring us new life. In fact, he rose again to be the, the first human being that was perfect in heaven. And he made a way for you and I to have that same relationship with God by faith in him. You might say, well, look, you don't look perfect, Ian. Well, I am as far as God's concerned because I have faith in what Jesus did for me on the cross. But on the outside, I just look like a normal guy, hopefully. But I'm not perfect. I still mess up. My attitude needs shifting quite a lot. Uh, my behaviours, my thoughts, the way that I speak about myself, the way that I speak about others, it needs changing. You know, my heart attitude and my desires, they need changing and renewing to be more like Jesus. So do yours. You're not perfect yet, but as far as God's concerned and salvation, your salvation is concerned, you are perfect by faith in the perfect Son of Christ, Son of God, Jesus Christ. And his, his death on the cross for you made that possible. Amen. And so we can actually enter into that rest. And here is the God of rest, the God of the Sabbath, uh, Jehovah, uh, uh, Jehovah, Jehovah Shalom, the God of peace, the God of the Sabbath as well, the God who brings peace. And here he is entering into the synagogue at his hometown. Now, his hometown is Nazareth. Just the last chapter last week, we were looking at Jesus and he was in Capernaum. The week before that, he was over on the other side of the, in, of the lake on the Gentile territory. He was healing the demoniac. So then he's come back to Capernaum where it's cleaner, it's kosher, it's Jewish. And now he's gone from this central hub of Capernaum where he did lots of his ministry to his hometown, Nazareth. Now, Nazareth, actually nothing's, not, nothing's mentioned about Nazareth. Until until the New Testament. And uh, let's turn there, shall we? In, in Matthew's Gospel, in chapter 2, we see uh, the first mention, I guess, of Nazareth. Uh, this is in chapter 2 in Matthew's Gospel, 
um, we see, so Jesus has been born, right? And, uh, and when he was born in Bethlehem, Joseph had a dream. And uh, not long after he was born, they, they moved. Joseph and Mary and the, the young baby Jesus went down to Egypt as refugees, as a young family with a baby as refugees in Egypt. They spent time there because there was danger for, uh, uh, for Jesus' life because uh, Herod was uh, murdering uh, babies because he was after Jesus. So they escaped to Egypt until... Joseph had another dream. God gave him another dream. And here we are in um, at the end of um, chapter 2. Let's go to verse uh, 19. When Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. Get up, the angel said. Take the child and his mother back to the land of Egypt, because those who are killing, trying to kill the child are dead. So it's safe to return, right? So Joseph got up and returned to the land of Israel with Jesus and his mother, Mary. But then when he learned that the new ruler of Judea was Herod's son, Archelaus, he was afraid to go there. Then after being warned in a dream, he left for the region of Galilee. So the family went and lived in a town called Nazareth. This fulfilled what the prophets had said, he will be called a Nazarene. Now that prophecy there, there's no, no mention of it in the Old Testament, but uh, that he would have a uh, an upbringing in a place where there was obscure, it was obscure. In fact, Nazareth, it's not a big place. Archaeological digs have found that this place, it was cut into the side of Rocky Hill and it was about 50 or 60 acres, the whole town. And max 500 people lived there in the early um, century where Jesus was growing up there. 500 people. Small town. Everyone knew everyone. Everyone knew everyone's business. I mean, there was no Facebook. You didn't need that sort of thing because you were in each other's faces. It was such a small town, right? And Jesus grew up there. Mary raised her children there. Joseph raised his children there, and and, uh, and that's that's uh, that's what we hear about uh, Nazareth for the first time in the New Testament. And then back in chapter six, if you can, back in Mark chapter six, the next Sabbath he began teaching in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. They asked, "Where did he get all this wisdom and the power to perform such miracles? This is amazing, Jesus." We know you. This is amazing. Where did he get this? Where did he get all this wisdom and the power to perform such miracles? They've obviously heard about the miracles because Jesus never performed many miracles there at all. In fact, only just to heal a few sick people, which I'm glad. If I was one of those sick people, I'd be glad that Jesus actually came to the town just for me. But not a lot of great miracles happened in Nazareth at all when Jesus went there this time. But they, they noticed something. You know, this is what this says to me is two things about Jesus. One, Jesus looked like an average guy growing up. I mean, here is Jesus in Mark chapter six, and he's 30, 31, maybe 32, something like that, years of age, right? So he's lived in Nazareth for 25 years possibly, and he's grown up there. 
His, you know, Joseph, Mary's husband, Joseph, was a carpenter. And so Jesus would have grown up watching his father do his trade, and he would have ended up being a carpenter as well. In fact, this is what they say. Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this the guy? This is, this is, their, this is, this is Elliot Clark, the plumber that we grew up with. He's nothing special. He's just an average guy. All right? That's basically what they're saying, right? Jesus' name wasn't Elliot Clark. It's just a metaphor, right? He's just basically, he's just the guy. He, there's nothing special about him. He just looks like us. He smells like us. He talks like us. He walks like us. He's just as strong as us. But something's different now. What has happened? Where did he get this wisdom? Where did he get this power, they say? What's happened? So the first thing is Jesus obviously looked like a normal guy. But the second thing I learned about this passage here, or these, this verse, is that something's happened since he was at Nazareth last. Something has happened. Because they're used to seeing just Jesus, the local carpenter, fixing their, fixing their stuff that breaks, building their extra extensions or their deck or their patio or their begola or whatever he, whatever he did. In fact, carpenter, the word in, in, in Mark in, in Greek is tektron. And it basically just means uh, a person that builds, uh, a handyman even, uh, a, a stonemason possibly because of the area that he grew up in. Uh, not a lot of trees, for example, not a lot of pine forests, not, no plantations there, but uh, he, there would have been wood. But majority of building homes would have been like like dirt and, and um, mud and clay and stone, anything that needed fixing or building, Jesus was able to do it. And um, and they just said he's just a carpenter. He's just he's just the son of Mary. They scoffed at him. They didn't even say he's the son of Joseph. They said he's the son of Mary. In other words, and, and a lot of uh, commentary, a lot of commentators think that this is really just a dig at uh, Jesus as he's just the illegitimate son of Mary. No one really knows who his father is. There's nothing special about Jesus. But they were amazed, in verse 2, they were amazed. Where did he get all this wisdom and the power to perform the miracles? Where did he get the wisdom to speak? Where did he get the wisdom to, to teach like this in the synagogue? He's just a carpenter. He didn't go to Bible college. He didn't go to, you know, the local seminary. He didn't, he didn't study with the rabbis. He was a carpenter. So where did he get the wisdom from? He's just, he's just Jesus. We, we saw him grow up with his brothers and his sisters. They're all here. They're normal. So where did he get this power from? All right? Are you with me? Shall we go on? There's two things we can learn. Jesus just looked like a normal guy, but something happened since he was there last. Right? So what was it? What happened? What was the difference? What was the catalyst to them questioning who Jesus is now. Well, let's go back to chapter 1 of Mark. Get your Bibles back to chapter 1 in verse 9. Verse 9, chapter 1. One day Jesus came from where? Nazareth. One day Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and John baptised him in the Jordan River. Verse 10, as Jesus came up, out of the water, he saw the heavens splitting apart and the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, 
You are my dearly beloved son and you bring me great joy. The spirit then compelled Jesus to go into the wilderness and continues on. I put it to you tonight that what happened between Nazareth the first time and Nazareth the second time was the spirit of God falling upon Jesus, falling into Jesus, around Jesus, upon Jesus and leading him and empowering him to live with power and wisdom. Power and wisdom. Because they're the two things that they notice about Jesus and they can't handle it. They can't handle the fact that a normal, average guy can have this kind of wisdom and this kind of power. What's the difference? What's the catalyst? What happened? Where did he get this from? The Holy Spirit. Now, you and I can do that too. We get wisdom from the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. He's the Spirit of wisdom and revelation. He's the Spirit of power. And you and I, if we trust in Jesus, we have the promised Holy Spirit as well. Now, you might say, well, we're not Jesus. Absolutely not Jesus. You'll never be Jesus. <laughs> in fact, that's why Jesus came, because you and I could never be perfect. So Jesus came incarnate, God incarnate. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, right? Now, you and I were not conceived by the Holy Spirit. We were conceived by our fathers and our mothers enjoying a night together somewhere. Let's not go into the details. But with Jesus, and it was Mary and the Holy Spirit. So already Jesus is God and man in one being. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 2, if you can. If you can't, I'll read it out. No dramas. Jesus is amazing. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5. Now, let's go to verse 3. Let's start at verse 3. Might be something there for us. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. You know, that's Jesus. He's fully God, but he's fully man. He looked like a normal guy. In fact, back in Isaiah, when we shared communion in Isaiah 53, it talks about how no one really noticed anything special about him. He just looked like a normal guy. In fact, he had to be a normal person, a normal human being, so that he could pay for our sins. All of us other normal human beings. He could pay for our sins. But... He had to be fully God because he had to not die ultimately, not, not stay dead, let's put it that way, because sin, death couldn't hold him because he had no sin apart from your sin and my sin. And so he dealt with that in the grave. And three days later he rose again 
because he was God and everything he said and did was true. He paid for our sins and he was delivered to life again by the power of the Holy Spirit. And now he's he's sitting at the right hand of God the Father and he's, he's praying for us. He's interceding for us. He's talking to God about how awesome we are and how much we deserve forgiveness and grace because of what Jesus has done. And one day he's coming back to take us to be with him. That's awesome. But he had to be ordinary. He had to be just ordinary. And so they said in, in Nazareth, this is amazing, Jesus. You're just Jesus. This is amazing. Where did he get this from? Let's continue on in Mark chapter 6 in Mark's Gospel. Um, they scoffed. He's just the carpenter in verse 3, the son of Mary and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and um, Simon, and his sisters live right here among us. They were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. See, that's the sad thing about this, is that here Jesus is giving them even an opportunity to believe that he is the Son of God. That's why Mark wrote this gospel in verse 1. He said this, this is to show you that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. But yet it was hard for them to believe that because he was ordinary last time he was there in Nazareth. Something had changed just a bit. And so then Jesus says these words in verse 4. A prophet is honoured everywhere except in his own hometown and among his relatives and his own family. Isn't that sad? I remember hearing, um, you know, once that uh, it's awesome to get guest speakers from overseas because it's almost like people in the church would listen to them more because they're coming from further away. So because they're coming from further away, they would know more or they would have more power from God. Or You know, no one looks to the local guys. But I hope that we're, we would be a church that, and I think we are, that we would be a church that looks within at the people in our church from, doesn't matter how old they are, that God is working in their lives and we might, our next guest speaker might be someone from within our church, which would be awesome. We shouldn't have to look somewhere else. We should see God at work locally within us, in, in every single person. But isn't that a thing? A prophet is is um, is honoured everywhere except in his own hometown and among his relatives and his own family. It's almost like that with our relationships with Jesus, isn't it? Like it's, it's our unsaved relatives that just can't believe something's different. They just can't. What's what's happened since I last saw that guy last? You know, he was he was a he was a whatever. You know, back then, but now at this Christmas gathering, you know, ten years later, something's different. What's happened? I can't believe this. It's weird. And uh, it says that they were offended and refused to believe in him. They refused to believe in Jesus. This tells me something else too. All God is after is belief, is faith. It's all God is after. Faith. Faith. And in verse 5, because of their unbelief, because of their lack of faith in who Jesus was, he couldn't do any miracles among them except to place his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. What does it take to amaze Jesus? 
How do I go about amazing Jesus? Well, there's two ways. And they have to do with faith. All right. If you've got your Bibles, which I hope you do, turn to Matthew. In Matthew chapter 8, Jesus heals a, uh, he meets with a Roman officer in verse 5 of Matthew chapter 8. If you can turn there, just flick it over. Matthew chapter 8, verse 5. When Jesus returned to Capernaum, a Roman officer came and pleaded with him, Lord, my young servant lies in bed, paralyzed and in terrible pain. Jesus said, I will come and heal him. But the officer said, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come into my home. Just say the word from where you are and my servant will be healed. I know this because I am under the authority of my superior officers and I have authority over my soldiers. I only need to say, go, and they go, or come, and they come. And if I say to my slaves, do this, they do it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Turning to those who were following him, he said, I tell you the truth. I haven't seen faith like this in all Israel. We'll just stop there. Jesus was amazed at the lack of faith in Nazareth, his hometown, and he was amazed at the extent of faith from a Gentile Roman officer who loved the Jewish people, but he, he had simple faith, faith in what Jesus said. He said, Jesus, you don't even need to come and touch this this servant of mine, you don't even need to come and you know be at the place. I understand how power and authority work, said this officer. He said, all you need to say, all I need to say to my, my servants is, I do this and they do it. Go there and they do it. All I need to say, that's what he said. And so he just said to Jesus, all you, you just need to say the word. And that amazed Jesus. Just that simple faith. Let's bring it home. Let's. What's the take home from this? I want to be amazing Jesus. Who wants to be amazing Jesus tonight? I would love to be amazing him. I would love to see him amazed. But for the right reasons. I would love to have that kind of childlike, simple faith that just believes him at his word. I wouldn't like to have that unbelief that continues to point at, at what isn't happening or what doesn't seem right or what doesn't make sense. And I don't want to have that kind of faith that looks at the outward appearance of something that looks ordinary and think that God's not in it. I want to have the faith that looks at Jesus and just says, you just say it and it will happen. Who believes God at his word tonight? Who believes God at his word tonight? What do you say about your situations that you face? Then what does God say about it? What, what do you say about yourself sometimes? And then what does God say about you? What do you say about others? What kind of words are you speaking over others around you in your life? And then what does God 
say about them? Or what, what kind of unbelievable situation are you facing right now? Let's ask Jesus to just say the word. To just say the word over that situation. One day, he's going to come back. Just like he did with Nazareth. He came back after being filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit, right, at his baptism for ministry. He was already kind of filled with the Holy Spirit already because he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, that aside. After he came back the second time, they didn't recognize who he was. Now, one day, Jesus is going to come back and everyone's going to recognize who he is. But at the moment, not everybody does. Not everybody recognizes who Jesus is. And we, you and I, believers in him, followers of him, carriers of his hope, carriers of his power, carriers of his gospel, carriers of his love and forgiveness, we have the great privilege and responsibility of revealing Jesus or reflecting him to the people around us. So that they can come to know him too by faith. And it's always by faith. It's never by sight. I know some people that they love asking questions about God. They love asking questions about Jesus. They love asking questions about, well, if God actually created the universe, then why is this or why is that? And it's almost like they doubt, but they'll just keep asking the questions to see if and they can they can make me stumble with what I believe or whatever, you know, those sorts of people. They ask the questions. I love people asking questions. But if we're just asking the questions, if people are just asking the questions and they're not believing, then there's going to be no salvation. There's going to be no hope. It's always by faith first and then by sight. We believe first. We believe in God first. And then we receive that salvation and that experience of that forgiveness of sin. It's always faith first. So I wonder if anyone's visiting a church tonight and uh, you're not sure if you will go to heaven tonight, let me encourage you. It's not about how good you are. It's not about how much you can do, how many times you've gone to church, how much you know about church or how much you know about God or the Bible or whatever. It actually isn't. It's all about faith in who Jesus Christ is. That's all. It's just believing. Just believing in the amazing Jesus, the amazing grace that we receive from believing in Jesus is all we need to have that assurance of a place in heaven if we died tonight. And that's wonderful news. So let's rest in that grace. Let's, let's rest in the work that Jesus has done for us. And let's believe for good things ahead. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you for the cross that he died on to bring us all forgiveness of sins. doesn't matter how much we know. doesn't matter how good we are, how bad we are, how rich we are, how poor we are, how young or old we are, how religious we are or not. We, we believe, we have faith in who Jesus is, the, the Son of God, who came to die for us on the cross, to rise again and to ascend to heaven and one day we'll come back with his angels to judge between the living and the dead and to, and to make everything right, everything right. And, Lord, it's our prayer tonight that you would help us to believe in Jesus 100%. With simple faith, 
to believe him at his word and, and to see his face amazed at just our simple faith in him. Lord, help us to reveal Jesus to the people around us. Help us to be real people that just get real with a real God. Help us to be genuine, Lord, so that others can see this amazing Jesus that we serve. We pray this in his name. Amen.